Well, welcome to another edition of Intentional Conversations. On Intentional Conversations, we seek to interview leaders in this ministry, help men grow spiritually, to help leaders and pastors to reach the men in today's culture, discussing issues men face every day. It is a program where a men's ministry leader interviews leaders in men's ministry. I am your host, Mike Sandler, and I thank you for joining us. As I talk with men and men's leaders in my goings and comings, I often hear about the number of items men struggle with. Rarely as men do, we talk about these issues. We don't we do not talk about these issues, I should say, with each other. But we do, but we need to. We need to be there to lift each other up, to encourage, uh, to pray with, and just support each other. And some of our issues may be stuff we deal with on a daily basis, but other issues may be those that are pretty uh, significant and maybe we're too embarrassed to talk about it. And we just don't know who to go to, who to, go to, to, to talk about these issues with. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, the Bible tells us that two are better than one because they bring a great reward for their labor. For if one falls down, there's another to lift him up. But pity the man, he does not have another to lift him up. And we know that we need someone to there beside us to lift us up. So my question to you today is, do you have someone who can lift you up? On the program, we'll be talking with someone who is helping men as they seek the Lord and strive to make sense of issues they deal with, trying to find answers. My guest is Dennis Gilling of Half a Sorrow Ministries. Now, Dennis is a nationally thought speaker on the topic of suicide prevention and mental health advocacy. He travels internationally speaking and raising awareness and reducing the stigma around mental health. Dennis has been deeply touched by suicide after the losses of two of his brothers to suicide 11 years apart. And after years of sitting on the sidelines, he jumped into helping those in need by working on the suicide prevention hotline when he lived in Chicago. After moving to South Carolina, Dennis got involved with several nonprofits on t- uh, that take on the mental health issues. And this allows them to lobby laborers, lawmakers and raise awareness by sharing this story. Dennis did a TEDx talk on loneliness and originally started his own nonprofit called the Half a Sorrow Foundation. Dennis, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to uh, walk through this with us and talk to us about this. Well, Mike, your timing's uh, perfect. Uh, it's uh, Valentine's Day, a day of love. That's when we're taping it. And I recently got done with a job. I was working for the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. And that ended on Friday. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I told you is I like to ask all my guests a couple of questions as we get started. Uh, let our listening audience know you a little bit better of uh, what your thinking is and what God may be doing in your life right now, or what he has done in your life. And uh, the first question I like to ask all my guests is what is your favorite verse or maybe a life verse or maybe even a verse that uh, uh, you kind of hang your hat on when it comes to the ministry? And, uh, and why is that verse so meaningful to you? All right, I'm going to go with a, a, a classic verse, and it's, it's important in my ministry because it shows that Jesus was human. It comes from John 11:35. It's the shortest one in the book. Two words: Jesus wept. Yeah. His pride, his embarrassment, all that stuff. He he couldn't take it. It was Lazarus. Uh, he was grieving with uh, the sisters of Lazarus, and he just let it. The emotions got the best of him. He cried, and that's important especially when we talk about men, because we are, we're all told at an early age, don't cry, you know, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> like when you yeah. get hit with, you, get, you get a little, you get hit with a baseball and the coach goes, walk it off. Like, walk it off. I can barely breathe. <laughs> yeah. men, don't, men don't cry. Men don't cry. Men don't cry. And the guy we follow, the, the only perfect man that ever walked the earth, wept. And we should be comfortable weeping, because sometimes a good cry is needed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many men has heard, uh, even their dads have told them, men don't cry, son. Men don't cry. You suck it up and you move on. And uh, But yet Jesus Jesus showed that emotion. And we should take uh, take that as an example that uh, sometimes we do need to just let our emotions get away from us and, and, and release it. Because uh, I think uh, you as a mental health uh, uh, advocate would probably say sometimes all of us, not just women, but all of us need a good cry. And uh Letting it, letting the release, let it manifest itself. Let it do its work. You know, if it, if that's how it, it comes out, it comes out. But you got to get it out because if you don't get it out, it'll come out in an unhealthy way. 
Mm-hmm. It'll come out when you lash out against a loved one. It'll come out when you say something harsh to you know, someone you really care about. It has to come out, whatever yeah. you're going through with the grief. Yeah. yeah, it will. It will. You may be able to think you can hold it in, but you can only hold it for so long. So, no, yeah. no. Well, let me ask you this second question. Um, when did you come to Christ? And when did you understand your need for Christ in your life? And what's that story all about? How did that happen? That's an interesting question. When you posed it on the uh, pre-interview, I, I sat there and said, "What is there a date? You know, I did go to a promise keepers meeting with my ex-father-in-law one time, and he wrote in my Bible that that was the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Savior. But I, I never wandered too far from the Lord. Even growing up, I was born in a, a Catholic tradition. I went to Catholic school, learned, you know, about the trilogy early on, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And even through the trials and my tribulations of my life, I never really wandered too far away i did wander and we all do it you know, yeah. time, you know the classic footsteps you know where were you god you know i carried you um when he was carrying me there were times i was being carried especially in light of what we covered today in this podcast you know, the trials and tribulations that we had to go through as a family but i think it was really significant uh there was a significant event we'll talk about that I really got closer to God. And when, when you're faced with a trial and tribulation, you can go, you know, it's the proverbial fork in the road. You can run away from God or you can run towards God. And I was very fortunate mm-hmm. when I faced a really difficult situation. I didn't have my wits about me and a lot of other things, but that one, I did make a good decision. I ran towards God after the loss of my younger brother. So, mm-hmm. um, he's always been there. If I wanted to go find that Bible back in my house and find the date that my father-in-law thought it was, but I, I never wandered too far. So I wish I had that date. You know, there are guys that you interview and they know the day. They hit rock bottom. No. And they, I just gave it up. And I don't think I have that per se. I just always, God was always in my periphery. Um, and there was always, he was always there. Was I there? No. <laughs> there were sometimes I wasn't there, but he was. Hope that we know that, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know that God is always there. He's just waiting for us to call out to Him, and uh, and, and 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 I can't, you know, I, I can understand that. I know sometimes you can ask guys that, and they can give you not only the date, they can tell you what day of the week it was, and they can tell you the time of the day it was, you know, and and that's great that they can do that. Awesome. But, if it, but I can tell you where I was at when when I did that. And but I can't tell you what day it was, and I, and I could tell you probably get it in the month of January or February of 1972, but I can't tell you the exact date and any of that. It's just it's a it's a because you know coming to Christ is just a, a decision that you make of of uh, submitting to His will and allowing Him to to minister and manifest Himself into you and begin to transform your mind and your and your whole being. Uh, into uh, to, to his calling of what he wants you to be as a man of God. So I understand that. I get that. So interact. Thank you. Well, Dennis. We're, yeah. Well, Dennis, we're talking about um, uh, your ministry and what goes on. And uh, tell us about Half a Sorrow Ministries. Uh, how did that get started? And and uh, and what is this kind of the synopsis of what that ministry is all about? Sure. The Half a Sarah Foundation, it's based off an old Swedish proverb, and like everything, it has biblical roots. A shared joy is a double joy. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. That's where we got our name. You know, because I think when we start sharing our sorrow, we cut it in half. Now, people uh, sometimes will look at somebody and they say, oh, that guy's got everything going on. He's doing great. He has no sorrow, but we all have it. And my sorrows come in, in a package of two. It was the loss of my older brother, Mark, to suicide in 1983. Um, And I thought I was okay after that. And 11 years later, I lost my younger brother, Matthew, to suicide. So two brothers, 11 years apart. Mm. That's a significant sorrow. And I never talked about him for 16 years, Mike. It's, it's, It's kind of ironic that, you know, I run a foundation now that is in the fight for suicide prevention. Um, I didn't want to talk to, about it at all. And for 16 years, I didn't. Uh, what what I didn't, was that? What was that? Oh, gosh. I think you touched on it in your intro uh, when we talked about embarrassment. Uh, yeah. when you brought up the word embarrassment. My pride. You know, I'm a dude. I don't want to admit a weakness or something that happened to my family. Right. I just And then there was another part of me, Mike, I couldn't talk about it. 
without losing it. Without, I couldn't say, there are people listening now that have been impacted by suicide. I could not say that S word, suicide, without Mm. crying, Mm. without just losing it. And time has an amazing way of healing. And my walk with the Lord is getting better and better each day. Um, But I couldn't say it. So I didn't want to talk about it. I put it in a box, uh, went on to have two boys of my own, became a father. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. Boom. I dove into that. And it was only at a, a fundraiser here in South Carolina that uh, somebody asked me to tell the story of why I'm involved in this fundraiser. And this fundraiser was for suicide prevention. It was for the right. American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. I was doing right. one of those out of the darkness walks. And they said, tell that story. I'm like, oh boy. And I felt a tug. You know, I felt a tug. And, you know, God was wor- working on me. And I decided to tell the story. And it, I, I had five minutes to tell it. And I sat down. And I thought I was done. I was exhausted from telling it. And this woman came up to me after the talk and said, you need to tell that story more often. And I kind of laughed at her. I laughed at her. Mike said, no, I think we're done. (laughs) I think we're done. You just heard the one and only one and done show. We're good. And then it just, someone heard me speak at that fundraiser and invited me to speak at an event, like at a college. Right. And I bombed horribly. But then someone heard about that and they said, come to our college. This is down in you know in South Carolina. I went to USC first. Then I went to College of Charleston. And then the third time I went to Charleston Southern University. And this thing started rolling a little bit. And I had a couple other gigs, you know, and just people t- asking me to talk about it. But it was at the College of Charleston, which is a, a nice Baptist school. They, right before I went on, it was part of their convocation. So let's bring God into it. It's a Wednesday night service where I am the speaker. Right. And um, it's mandatory, which is hilarious because that's, you know, if you're going to get somebody to come to a suicide prevention talk, you better make it mandatory because people don't raise their hand to go to that. And the room held about 220. I think I remember at the fire thing. I said, the room holds 220. And I looked in the room and they were sitting in the aisles. We probably had 300 people in there. Wow. Don't tell the fire marshal. So, I'm super nervous. This is a big gig. I brought my pastor at the time I was attending a Presbyterian church. I said, get in the car. You do sermons for a living. I'm going down here to Charleston Southern. It was kind of cool because he goes, hey, I know some kids at Charleston Southern. I minister. I'll come with you. We'll go see them. I'll dinner them. I'll watch you speak. I'm like, let's go. Hour and a half ride. And he was in the back. And right before I went on, being a good Baptist school, they said, hey, let's pray for our speaker. And I needed that because I was freaking out inside. Like this is a big gig. I look in the room, packed kids, you know, it's a tough audience. And they prayed for me right before I went on. And I needed to hear that. And the woman who prayed, oh, she could pray like nobody's business. I think she was a former cheerleader and she was just pouring her heart into it. I'm like, oh yeah, I needed that. So by the time I hit the stage, Mike, that was that was the breakthrough there. I, I was on fire that night. And um, I get in the car with my pastor on the way back. We have the hour and a half drive back to Columbia, South Carolina. And I said, well, what do you think? And he looked at me and goes, you got to keep doing that. Because I was in the back. He goes, and no one was on their phones. He goes, Dennis, you had them for the entire hour. And a college mm. crowd for an entire hour, that's like, you know, he goes, nobody was on their phones. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I said, oh, you know, there's part of me going, oh, crap, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I wanted to hear like, ah, you stink at it. Go back to your day job. But he said, no, you got to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I, I thank him for that advice. I thank him for the companionship going down. You know, I had three hours in the car with my pastor and it was, um, it, it made a difference. And that's, then, then God's totally pulling at my heart. You know, I, I say to people sometimes, Mike, I say, I'm a reluctant warrior, but still a warrior. Like I got dragged into this, but once you're in the arena, it doesn't matter. You're, you're in it. And uh, I got dragged in, but, you know, at some point I said, you know, right, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And I know exactly when I decided to go full time on this was when I was driving home from Elon University up your way, North Carolina. Right. And uh, it was late at night. So I'm doing my day job that I'm talking on suicide prevention at night and doing these gigs. And on the way home, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. The talk was exhausting. Uh, then we did a postvention thing. We did it, we went to a fraternity house and had a debrief. So I'm on the road like at one, two o'clock in the morning driving home to go get up, you know, to do my day job. And I'm all over the road with fatigue. I'm like, I'm falling asleep. 
so it became apparent that I had to do something. And I decided, you know what? If this is where I'm being led, <laughs> I'm dragging my feet. Let's let's step over the line and let's quit the day job and let's do this full time. Wow. And that's how we started. And the foundation started when I got a call from a school down in Texas where they, they had a couple suicides and they call that suicide contagion, a couple in a row. And I couldn't get down there financially. You know, they didn't have a budget, nor did I to go to Dallas, drive, you know, all this stuff. So I decided to start a foundation, a, a 501c3, so people could donate because all my friends wanted to help. They didn't know how. So now I have this 501c3. Uh, they contribute money and, and we still work on fundraising and all that stuff. And um, now when somebody calls up and they say, you know, we want you to come to this event and we don't have a budget, I can go, ah, but I do. You know, what time and what do I wear? Because the foundation will pay for it. And that's how it's been working. So when I hung up the phone with that kid from Texas, the first time I ever said no to anybody, I felt like crying. I was like, my wife looked at me. She goes, what's the matter? I said, I never said no to anybody. I always say yes, and it works out. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a school hires me nearby, and we make two for one. Or I give the free talk. And I do more free talks than paid talks, but the paid talks allow me to do the free talks. You know, if I go to a homeless shelter, right, they, right. They think I'm charging them? No. <laughs> No, but it all works out. God has a hand in this. So, and that was the one we couldn't figure out. And that was when God said, you know what? Your friends want to help you. Ask them to help. And they did. So I have this foundation. It's been really cool. That's super. That's super. I know. You know, I like the fact that you talk about warriors. I mean, one of my mentors uh, they had for many years, he used to talk about the, the battle for men's souls. That's the way he reflected, reflected on it a lot of times that we uh, are often in, in a warrior stance in a battle to help men in, the, in their relationship with God, because this world in so many ways are trying to tear men in or pull men in so many different directions and telling them, you know, this is what you need to do. And this is what you don't need to do. And, and sometimes they get confused. They get confused on how to do that, especially, especially if they're, if it's dealing with family, what, what is your thoughts on that? Well, I wouldn't say confused. Sometimes we don't know what to do as a man, and we're supposed to have all the answers, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, Dad, what do we do? I remember my son right before COVID hit. When COVID hit, I went over to visit him and dropped off some food at his house. He lives nearby. He goes, Dad, what do we do during a pandemic? I said, son, I have no idea. It's my first pandemic, too. I'm old, but I'm not 1918 old. You know, I don't know what to do. So it's hard for a guy to admit I don't know what to do because we're supposed oh. to have all the answers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, that's back to that embarrassment pride thing that we started off in the beginning with. It's, it's hard to admit that I don't have the answers and which is common, by the way, we don't have the answers to everything. But the other thing that men don't do very well is ask for help. So if we don't yeah. have the answer, we don't turn around and go, Hey, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. Can somebody help me? Which we should do. Yeah. How, how do we get men to recognize that, there's a lot of times they're not the only guys going through whatever that issue may be they're dealing with and, or there's somebody out there that has gone through that issue and could help them to uh, walk through it. So, so how do we get men to understand that? The first thing we need men to do is somehow get together because we get, as we get older, we lose friends. We just do. They just die off. I saw it happen with my dad. And you got to get plugged in. I do a couple things. One, the Bible study I started in Blythewood. I want to talk about that. I do this other thing that's non-religious. It's just guys getting together for breakfast. We call it, you know, the camo hat club. We get together on the first and third Thursday of the month. These are guys I lived in our apartment building with. And we said, you know what? We need to get together off campus. We used to joke about it. And so let's, let's meet. So we have that. And then I do a Wednesday night tennis night with men. Um, because I like to play tennis and we got that thing going and I get to do a little thing. What we have to do is first find a community, find a, find a bundle. And Mike, the reason I say that a stick alone can be broken by a child, but a stick in a bundle cannot be broken. We've all heard that. And right. it really resonates with men and mental health because we, we are often a stick alone and we could snap. But when we're in a bundle, it's hard to snap. And here's the deal with when I say snap, in my world, it's a, it's a suicide, a completed suicide. And Mike, 79% of all completed suicides are guys. Mm. 45,000 a year we lose, 45,000 a year in Americans. And let's call it 80. Let's round up. 80% of 
of all completions are dudes. That's four out of five. Women have more attempts, you know, so we're all in this together. But when it comes to, you know, walking in the woods and not walking out, it's dudes. It's dudes, dudes, dudes. So I start, you know, I whip that stat out, you know, you know, in my talk right off the bat, especially in front of a men's group. I said, can I have your attention, please? This number stinks. <laughs> and it's on the screen, like 80% are us. You know, you're the ones I need. And then I'll go on a rant about that, you know, about men. And then I'll run into somebody who lost his sister. You know, so it, it, all stats get thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. But the suicide, one is too many. Mm -hmm. One is too many. And it doesn't matter. But if you're looking at data, and data is king for some folks, it's, it's dudes. It's mm -hmm. dudes. Wow. It is. It's awful. Well, you talked about that Bible study. You mentioned that Bible study. What, what, what is that Bible study? What, what, what are you doing with that? That was an that was a, an invention of a, a friend of mine. I when I was living in Blythewood, South Carolina, uh, I went to a Bible study, and it was kind of neat. But it was, and do not take offense to this anyone, but it was a bunch of guys sitting around like at a Cracker Barrel, and I had to go to work. You know, they were they were going to stay there all day if they could. Um, and it was awesome. It was the older, it seemed to be the older gentlemen in my church and they were really good, really good at mentoring. But I, uh, somewhere around 8, 830, I had to go, you know, and they're, they were, you know, they're like, all right, see ya. So I started thinking like, is there a way to meet earlier? I couldn't get that group to move. So one day I was talking to my friend, he's an Episcopalian. And I said, dude, do you go to Bible study at your church? Cause it's, it's tugging at me that I need to get further into the word. And he goes, you know what? Let's start our own. Oh. All right. Yeah, let's start our own, you know, because the one you have meets too late because you have to go to work. They're awesome dudes, but I had to get out of there. And I felt like I was always missing the, you know, the, the debrief and all that stuff. So he goes, let's start our own and we'll meet at like seven o'clock on Friday. All right, perfect. So he picks, we have a, we went around the table and we just try to figure out who would be good. Just, and we didn't even look at like denomination. We just said, these guys would be good. So we had uh, one guy who was Pentecostal, Episcopalian, and a Methodist. Just happened to be our friends. And we all worshiped the different places. Uh, Catholic. Uh, I was a Presbyterian at the time. Uh, I think we covered and a Baptist. Uh, uh, I'm just thinking about the guys around the table. If you hear me delaying, I'm trying to match the name to the, the denomination. And we started a group. So that group met. Uh, and still meets Friday mornings at seven o'clock. And here's where that group came to, to my life. And, you know, speaking to, you know, we covered a lot of stuff in the Bible. We covered a lot of Christian books. It's really good. And then one day, this guy gets invited to come in. And I'm one of the founding members of the group. And my little male ego says, I don't remember voting on this guy. You know, normally we'd say, hey, hey about this guy, because it has to work. You know, it has to gel. And he just starts showing up. He's a good guy. But I'm like, I, I'm like a little miffed. Like, I didn't get to vote. Turns out that God put this guy right in my path because he went through a divorce. And right in the middle of all this, I was going through a divorce. And I was like, wow. Uh, my wife, my ex-wife, um, didn't. I didn't want the divorce. She strayed a little bit, whatever. We talk about that all day long. But I wanted in, she wanted out. And a divorce, if one wants out, it's out. You know, it's terrible. Yeah. And all of a sudden, God put this guy who I didn't vote on in front of me, and he said, Dennis, I've been there. And that's where guys, men need men. And he was big and instrumental to help me recover. Uh, the folks who cannot see my hand while I'm talking right now, there's a wedding band on there. God is good. Uh, after my divorce, uh, a couple years later, I was walking out of church, ran into a woman on the way out, was walking, trying to get around her. I said, on your right. And we are now married. So God is good. She's a good Christian woman and put her in my life. So um, but I don't think I could have got through all that without that gentleman in my Bible study. And some days I was so bad, we, like we wouldn't do the Bible study. They would say, Dennis, how you doing? And we would put away what we were reading. And I would just sit there and say, guys, I'm not doing so hot. I don't want this. It's happening. It's awful. And then he was there. So men need men. Amen. Amen. I know I hear a lot of times men talking about their wives being their best friend, and, and that's good that they do, and they feel that way. But we need that best friend as a man, too, in our lives, uh, because there's a lot of things that men need to discuss with each other that um, women just don't completely understand. You know, it's not to say you need to hide things from your wife. You don't. But sometimes you need that man to be able to unload on and let him be able to hear and, and I know I've learned very early, and you can, you can speak to this if you want to, 
that probably if you live to a ripe old age, that uh, we will probably only have three, maybe four men in our lives that we can actually just unload on. And we need to find those guys. What do you think? What do you think? What do you say to that? Oh, I think you're spot on, Mike. There's a there's an app out there in the suicide prevention world. It's called My Three. You should have mm -hmm. about three people you can go to and say, listen, I am not doing so good. And it can't be one person. Why? Because that one person is not available 24-7, 365. You know, if you have that mm -hmm. one person that's your go-to in a crisis and he's taking a shower the day you call, you know, you better have two others. So that's why I'm working really hard. Um working really hard at continuing to foster relationships because sometimes we put it in cruise control and we think we're done. Mm -hmm. I, I, my friends are my friends. No, that's why I'm doing that breakfast club. That's yeah. not biblical. It's just get together and break bread. That's why I'm doing the tennis thing. And it, before we go out and hit tennis balls, I do a quick spiel on mental health and then I give them the balls and everybody goes out and plays. So, and then my Bible study. So it's, you have to, it's work. There's no way around it. And I feel bad for the introverts of the world. And I'm, you know, some days I am an introvert. I don't want to talk yeah. to people, but it's yeah. work. I get it. But put yourself out there. And one thing I did, Mike, when I was going through that divorce and moved to a little apartment in Greenville, South Carolina, where I live now, I put myself out there in a, in a hiking club. There was a hiking club in town and I joined up, didn't know a soul, had to go to a parking lot and, meet the trip leader, uh, got in somebody's car, and then we went to the mountains of Western North Carolina and went on a hike all day. But I needed to get out of my house because that apartment, the walls were closing in on me. And I, I had my wits about me to say, Dennis, you cannot stay in this apartment day in, day out. You have to do something for your head. You right. have to get out of your head. And this right. hiking club was phenomenal. Um, I would be gone all day Saturday. I'd leave the house at like 7. I'd get home at 5, and I was exhausted. But the whole time I was outside of my head and there's something about nature and God and you, right. be, you just get close and you feel better. It's, it's good for you. So I get it, guys. And there's guys listening, Mike, that's look, listening to us. Oh, you guys have it easy. You just jump in. It, it's work. I was scared when I got out of my car to go talk to this guy and say, hi, I'm Dennis. You know, you're Dale. You're the trip leader. Hi, Dennis. Get in my car. We're going to drive. Like that was out of my comfort zone for sure. But the minute I started hiking, it was, I was exactly where I needed to be, if that makes sense. I hope it does because it's, it's tough. It's super tough for guys. You know, and, and, and I used that hiking club. I wasn't asking for help, but I knew I was, what do they call it, self-aware that I knew that I had to get out and self-care. And I want you guys to hear this. Self-care is not selfish. I just had an interruption in my in my I ear. Was to, <laughs> I was trying so hard to cover for you, Mike, and I ran out of things to say. <laughs> you want to keep it in because it's a it's, life isn't perfect. Yeah. Mike had a phone call. And I, we're watching on Zoom, and someone's buzzing. He's like on TV. Someone's buzzing in his ear, and I'm going self care is not. But I meant every word I said, but I was running out of things to say. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. And I'll listen to it. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. It's the, it's the worst thing that happens to us today. We have a good day. Yeah, I gave. Day. I was suspecting an important phone call, and I gave my phone to my wife, and uh, so she can see where she's in another area of the building, and forgot that when it rings, it's going to ring in my ear. We can blame it on your wife. You did not turn off the Bluetooth, honey? Come on. <laughs> it's like we're guys. It's never our fault. <laughs> That's what I tell my wife all the time when she when we're talking about something. I said, I know. It's my fault. It's my fault. <laughs> I got it. But anyway. Oh, it's too good, oh, Mike. Good. That's super. That's super. Well, I'll listen to this and see how it all plays out. That's that's uh that's sometimes the things we deal with as as men and we do these podcasts. It's just amazing. That's why I don't do these things live anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, and we're, and the thing that your wife will tell you is we're not good at multitasking. Now women will say they're good at multitasking, but the truth is you can only one do one task at a time. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. They think they can do a bunch of stuff, but we're really bad at it. <laughs> Well, let's change subjects a little bit. We've been talking about getting men and talking to men and and being able to uh, find that one man or two or three men in your lives that you can de develop that relationship with. Um, 
I know that you also deal with uh, addiction and recovery type issues too. At least that's what the, what I what I see in the in the information you provided me. So uh, speak to that a little bit because you know, um, especially in the area that uh, uh, there's some things that men has a problem with and issue with. And they're scared if they say anything about it, what men, what other men may say about it, much less the women. So uh, uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about that too? Oh, absolutely. When I get invited to speak in, in, in this arena, I often will share the stage or someone will say, Hey, can you cover drug use and alcohol and all that other stuff? I say, absolutely. I can cover it from my own personal perspective. I'm not an expert. Mm -hmm. And remember, I was an accounting major in college, um, but I can speak to it because after Matthew died in 1983, Mark dies, 94, Matthew dies. The last night I got drunk was the night before Matthew's funeral. So I'm sober over 27, 20, going on 28 years. I spoke at a conference one time and this guy went on before me and he uh, went to rehab for drugs. Uh, and now we call it, you know, he's not an addict. We call it substance use disorder. We're trying to give him a kind, a polite out mm -hmm. because some of these drugs now, they, they, they hijack some really good people. It's substance use disorder. And he went up there and told the story about how, how he went to rehab 12 times. And that this, the, the lesson I learned that day, Mike, is we never give up on people mm -hmm. 12 times rehab. And, um, it was interesting. He, he made a comment on stage and it, it stuck with me that, he, when he went to rehab one time, one of his counselors, his former counselor, walked by. He was waiting to go in to see his new counselor. And a former counselor looked at him and go, dude, what are you doing here? Like, you got discharged like a year ago. You're all right? Hmm. And they started chit-chatting in the hallway. And then the guy looked at him. And this is a great line for all these men that are dealing with a substance use disorder. Um, substance abuse disorder is uh, the guy looked at him square in the eye and said, what are you running from? And then he left. He walked down the hall. And that guy's sitting there like it's like a bomb went off right in front of him. He's like, that's it. What am I running from? So he had some personal issues, some traumas in his life that he was literally running from. Right. And the way he ran from them was through alcohol, drugs, and everything else to numb the pain. And here's is that what is that what we find out most of the time when people are dealing with addictions and and is that they're they're they're, they're running for something or some issue in their life? Well, Often in, in my little arena in the suicide prevention world, uh, it's trauma informed. There was a trauma that occurred in the back, you know, back in the day. There's something in their past that happened, and we're, we're, we're trying to get away from saying what is wrong with you when someone's going through this. You know, it's mm -hmm. which is very tempting to say, dude, you're drinking all the time. What is wrong with you? To rephrasing that to saying, dude, what happened to you? What, 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 you know, open up, what happened? And that's a key line I think any listener can use. Stop pointing fingers at people when, they, you know, especially if they're going through a, some form of addiction, because remember, three fingers are pointing back at you. Uh, we're not perfect, but something happened. It trauma informed. I know we used to say in the suicide prevention world that, you know, 90% of the people who die by suicide, some form of, you know, undiagnosed mental illness or untreated, whatever. And we got away from that because the CDC came out with reports that 54% of the folks who die by suicide have some form of trauma. And when I was doing my talk before COVID at a homeless shelter, the traumas those folks shared with me, and all I was doing was telling my story and then trying to match them up with resources. Remember, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. And then they would open up and tell their stories. Holy mackerel. The traumas they had to deal with. So you're on to something there, Mike. You know, not what's wrong with you, what happened to you, and peel back the onion, and you'll find out there's a, there was an event or something that went down or a series of them, and that's that's what's driven them to this spot. And we call all those, there's a book behind me in this bookshelf, it's Deaths of Desperation. When, you know, think about the alcoholic, the, uh, the, the drug uh, abuser, uh, someone who's suicidal, they've all somehow, way, shape, or form, lost hope. Hope. And we all know there was hope in the word. You know, there's hope in the Lord. There's hope there. That's why I think the church has a big place at this table of helping those that are desperate and uh, realizing that they're in the pews and they're right there, usually sitting in the back waiting for the exit to open. They're there. 
Um, so that's why I'm excited about some of the stuff that's happening in this arena. I'm going to training in a couple weeks for this thing called Soul Shop Movement. It's going to bring suicide prevention into the churches. It's geared for churches. It's a very specific audience. I'm going to Little Rock to learn it for a week. I'll be trained the trainer come March 1st at soulshopmovement.org. I'm very excited about that because I believe in the church. I believe in the healing powers of faith, and I believe that's a great bundle. Back to the earlier comment, a stick alone uh, can be broken by a child. A stick in a bundle cannot be broken. Church and men's group make great bundles. Well, you, you hit on something I'm not exactly sure we talked about earlier when we were really dealing down into uh, suicide occurrences and the statistics. Is the statistics of suicide and mental health issues, are they different in the church than they are in the culture? Do we see a difference or are there a lot similarities there? I, you know, I never, that's a great question. I never had it broken down like that. Maybe I'll ask that when I go down to Arkansas for this training. Okay. Uh, the, the church as a whole, is there a protective factor? And, you know, there could be also, could the church be a, you know, a negative factor for some people? Like, you know, the, some people, you know, who, who don't think they're worthy of forgiveness may ultimately, you know, back in the day, and I'm going to pull on my Catholic roots here, it was a mortal sin to die by suicide. It was mortal. Right. You know, you didn't. Right. But guess what? The Catholic Church changed their position on that. The Baptist Church also has a great position paper on mental health, and they sort of agree here that the person in that state of mind is not well at the moment. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So how can you condemn someone who's not well? You cannot. Right. You will not. That's for God to do. We're just mere mortals. Stay out of it. Get them help, but do not cast judgment on that person. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know we're kind of bouncing around here just a little bit, but it was just a couple of things you said that made me trigger those those comments. But back to what you were talking about right before I asked that question is that so basically what we're saying is men don't necessarily or probably anybody, we don't necessarily fall into a particular addiction, whatever that may be. There's something that has caused us to drive ourselves to that addiction. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I understand? Usually it's a trauma-informed trauma. Something happened. Now there are some cases now with these high, you know, uh, highly addictive products like the opioids, where someone right. went in for a pulled, you know, maybe they separated their shoulder. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It started. There are those people out there that got sucked in because those darn drugs changed their. You know, they were we were lied to. They, oh, they're not addictive. They're highly addictive, and um, they, they they hijack some really good people. You know, so we'll give them a polite out. They went in for an injury or sprained ankle, got an opioid, even, gosh, they were prescribing for like dental work, like stop. Those yeah. drugs were developed for a higher pain than that. And um, so it, it's hijacked some really good people. But usually when you feel like someone's doing something to abuse their body, like alcohol, whatever, something, that, something down there is bugging them and it's bugging them bad. And we got to get to that. Yeah, we use the phrase a lot of times, especially with alcoholism, uh, when they um, fall off the wagon, let's say, uh, it's a common phrase we use, is they're drowning their sorrows in, in their drinking, you know, trying to forget whatever it was that occurred. And that's a fair statement. What happens with the sad part about that is when you go to numb that pain, and I'm giving these guys my heart because I, I feel for them. Mm -hmm. You know, there were drugs and alcohol in my past, my brothers, all that stuff. So, not again, not being, you know, pointing any fingers, but when you when you try to numb the pain, here's the worst part about that. You also numb the joy of life. You cannot selectively numb. I'm just going to numb that event and everything else can be fine. No, what ends up happening is you numb the pain, you numb the joy, you numb your relationships. You just are numb. And that's no way to go through life. Yeah, man. It's sad. Well, uh, yeah, and it is a sad thing to have. I know I had a, I had a sister who was an alcoholic and, uh, it was tough. It was tough watching her go through. And I've had some uncles in my family that dealt with it too. And it's just sad to watch them walk, walk through that and thinking they're okay, but they're not. And, uh, yeah. and trying to find, trying to help them is, can be very frustrating. So anyway, let's turn a little bit again, the page and, and talk about some, some great stuff you're doing. I see that you're working on a children's book. 
Is that what I hear? <laughs> that is correct. Uh, often when I speak and I, re I reveal myself to be vulnerable, for the first time, I, you know, for people who heard me, I speak about my brothers. And what happens is people often come up to me afterwards and tell me their story. And at the University of Delaware, when I spoke, I brought three students up on stage. And one of these students told a story, and I couldn't let it go. This is like four or five years ago. So finally, uh, late last year, I called them up. And I said, dude, I can't let that story go. Can we convert this into a children's book? So it's happening right now. We got the second draft in. And um, it's kind of nice. It's called Nice Shoes. And it's basically a story about this boy who's having a rough day. And it's his story. And um, I couldn't do it without him. But he's having a rough day. And on the way out of school, one of the cool kids in school said, hey, I like your sneakers. Like, nice shoes. And that what the moral of that story is, it's not about the shoes. It's a, a well-placed compliment change this kid's outlook mm. in a kind word and it's a true story and this kid was it's about him it was he was in middle school having one of those days and when he left that school that day he's like i am not going to do this again I'm, you know we hear too many stories about that in the news where these kids were bullied 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 and they they give up and he was one of them and on the way out the cool kid said hey steven i like your shoes nice shoes and that changed everything mm. no Wow. So how dangerous is this children's book going to be for? Is it for the younger age? Is it the preteens? Or is it, uh, is it We're going for all younger. ages? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it'll be a young one. It'll be like, you know, grades, what, I think they said second through five. But it, the story is for everybody. Okay. You know, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, based on a true story, it's, there's a moral in there for all of us. It's, yeah. Be kind with your words, and you yeah. never know what they mean. To and, and what's what's the title? Have you got a title for the book yet? We have a, yeah, it's Nice Shoes. It's just what he nice said, shoes. Nice Shoes. Nice Shoes. So nice yeah, everyone can say that to someone. Even if you're having a bad day and someone's giving you the business, you just look down and go, hey, nice shoes, pal. You know, you can, you can just say that. Anybody can say that. That kind of that kind of put a stop them for a second. To figure, what was he talking about? Exactly. <laughs> so, hey, I like your shoes. Just divert them. <laughs> <laughs> so when's the book going to be out? Hopefully by April. 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 I got to oh. get cracking on. I'm, I'm I'm my own worst enemy. I'm uh, I'm very busy, but I'll get it done. We'll get it done. Yeah, I know. I know. Trump, but I'm working on something right now too, and I've I've had to put it aside for a little while. And I went looking for it on my computer, my manuscript on the computer, and I forgot where I saved it to. It's been that long since I touched it. So so, but anyway, so I understand that. Uh, uh, procrastination a little bit so we got to get, get that stuff going well dennis um how can people get up with you i've been saying um half a sorrow ministries but like you've been saying it's actually half a sorrow foundation but um how how can people get up with you if they would like for hear more about what you do and also to be able to um uh, maybe get you to come speak at their church or men's group Oh, absolutely. And don't worry about your, you're calling it, you know, half a star ministries because it is a ministry now. This foundation is, you know, that's where we are. So you're, I didn't feel the need to correct you because you're onto something there. Yeah. Someone, someone uh, recently, I was trying to tell them why I do what I do. And they said, ah, so you made your misery, your mission. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I, <laughs> that's what I meant when I was trying to explain it to you. That's exactly what it right. is. So the half right. a sorrow foundation, we have a website, half org. I also have an older website, but I like this website. It was when I first started out speaking, I named my website DennisGillen.com. <laughs> very, very creative of me. Um, mm -hmm. That site still exists, but we're merging to Half a Star, but I still like that site because I do a lot of blogging on there. And um, the Half a Star org or DennisGillen.com, you get a hold of me through either of those sites and we'll figure something out. Give me a, an audience. Give me the dudes. Oh, give me the dudes. But if we have to throw the women in there, we will, because it's hard to keep them out of those talks. I'm telling you, we tried it. We had a men's night at one church, and half the crowd was women. Because you know why we're there? Because they were there because of a man they loved was going through something. Mm. So I was not mm. about to say, ladies, you have to leave. I was like, ladies, what's on your heart? Yeah. And it, and it often was a dude that didn't come, but they felt they wanted to come because they wanted to help that dude. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point there is that so often when we're going through something individually, we don't realize how it's affecting our loved ones around us and and how it can also be a devastation, impactful event to them. 
and it could drive them into areas of, of their life that, that could be devastating. Oh, it's awful. We call that the ripple effect. The ripple yeah. effect. Like when you throw a stone in the water, it goes all, you know, it keeps rolling out. They say if someone dies by suicide, six immediate family members are impacted. I think it's bigger than 25 close. And it goes out 50, you know, associates, 100 other. It has this ripple effect. And, you know, then they told two friends and so on and so on, like that old commercial. It's unbelievable, the impact. And I wish, I wish when I go to these survivor suicide meetings and, and, and even funerals, I wish the person that died by suicide could see how many people were crushed by their departure. They thought at that moment in time, when you have to give them grace, they thought that was the answer. And I'm yeah. telling you, sometimes that's the devil whispering in their ear. You are a freak. You are alone. He lies. He lies. He lies. Mm -hmm. And they disappear and they, they leave us. And then all these people are impacted. It's one of those things you want to like say, if you could envision your funeral and see how many people are hurting because you left, you'd be amazed. So please don't leave. Yeah. Raise your hand if you're hurting. I'd rather I'd rather listen to you and your problems than attend your funeral. It's that yeah. simple. Yeah. Hey Amen. And, and for our listening audience out there, if you happen to be one that is struggling with an issue or dealing with the issue, and I don't care what it is, and you are feeling a need uh, uh, to do harm to yourself, uh, reach out to Dennis. Even reach out to me. And, uh, and I can, I can, I may not be able to be able to do the things that Dennis does, but I can get you in touch with somebody who can. And, uh, we need to, we need to have those warriors like Dennis, uh, around us and in our lives when we're struggling with issues. What you got? I was holding up the suicide prevention lifeline when you were talking about it, you know, go, if you need help right away, you call 1-800-273-8255. That's a suicide prevention lifeline. And, the kids out there, you can use text. You could text 741-741. Just write the word help, and somebody will get back to you. You know, people love you, people care, and they will get back to you. So the suicide prevention lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Now that's a tough number to remember, but it's 1-800-273-TALK. And July 16th of this year, Every state, Mike, everybody who's listening, that number is going to go to three digits. It's going to go to 988. It's not ready yet, but July 16, 2022, three digits. Wow. So we got that going wow. for us. Wow. That, that, that's super. That is super. It is. It's going to help. And the text number for kids was, was usually like 741 741? 741. It's not just for kids, for anybody. So, like when I spoke at that homeless shelter, they can't use their phones at night, Mike, because they, right. they have roommates. So, when I told them the text line, they all wrote that down because that they can do at night. Mm -hmm. You know, most of your money crisis happen at night, you know, not eight to five, but they could do that at night. 741 741. Just type the word help, and there you go. Mm -hmm. We'll put that in the show notes too for the podcast, so um, you'll be able to have that there uh, for your information. That's good information to have. Uh, yes, you actually you may be struggling. You need to reach out to someone who can help you. That's great, Dennis. It's been great to have you on here. We're running over our time, and uh, but uh, I, I do want the people to reach out to you. And you gave us those websites at uh, halfasorrow.org. Or your, or your one before that, it's DennisGillen.com, which is D-E-N-N-I-S-G-I-L-L-A-N.com. Um, and uh, so you can reach out to him on that. Or you can email him at Dennis at org, And I'm sure Dennis would be glad to hear from you and be able to reach out to you. Dennis, I want to give you just a minute to share anything that's on your heart to, to encourage people out there that may be struggling or dealing with issues and, uh, and maybe they're feeling like they're at the end of their rope. Well, the first thing I'd say, if you're at the end of your rope, make a knot and hold on. Mm -hmm. And here's the big part for us, all of us listeners. Now, if you're at the end of your rope, you may be the only one that knows you're at the end of your rope. I need mm -hmm. you to tell other people you're at the end of your rope and you mm -hmm. may be surprised. When someone you tell someone what you're going through, and they may look at you right square in the eye and go, "You too," because someone if you're struggling, there's a good chance you're standing right next to someone else who's struggling, mm. right there with you. 
So I would be, you know, back to my foundation, I would be the first one to tell you, you need to share your sorrow. If my brother Mark, who was my first brother to die by suicide, raised his hand and said, I'm not doing okay. I'm telling you right now, Matthew's with us. I got them both. I got them both at that point. Yeah. So don't give me any of that crap, guys, and your egos. Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. And you'd be amazed. People want to help. They just don't know how. Let them know you need help. Yeah, man. Well, I just feel the need right now for us. To, we don't normally do this on the podcast, but I just feel a need right now for us to pray for those individuals out there that may be listening to us uh, on this call that may be at the end of their rope and struggling and don't know where to turn. So, Father, I just ask you right now, uh, you know who's listening and you know what's going on in their lives. You know the thoughts that's going through their heads. You know the the the, the difficulties that uh, they feel like they're going through and they don't know where to turn. Father, I pray, I pray right now that they will reach out and call one of these numbers we talked about uh, on, the, on the podcast, or they will pick up the phone and call somebody else. They'll even reach out to Dennis and they begin that process of that healing process in their lives. Father, we pray right now that the Holy Spirit will move in their lives in a mighty way and make a changing impact, a transforming impact into their lives to be able to, to uh, allow you to heal their, 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 their mind and their heart of whatever issues they're dealing with. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, Dennis, it was good good to have you on here, and I appreciate you being with me. And You have provided a lot of great information on this, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the responses we get from our listening audiences and seeing what they have to say about this. And I just thank you for your time, man. I really do. I thank you, brother, for bringing this up and having the uh, guts to talk about suicide prevention on your podcast. It's something we all need to talk about. Amen. 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 So as we begin to program, uh, close the program for you men's leaders out there and for any other man, I would encourage you to reach out and, and check out my new book, The Call, A Journey into Men's Ministry. As you can find it on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And be sure to leave us a review after you read the book. We greatly appreciate it here. And I thank you for listening to uh Intentional Conversations with Mike Sandlin. Intentional Conversations is a production of Cape Fear Men, a men's ministry coalition that works under the auspices of Ministry Alliance. If you enjoy the program, do two things for me. Share the program with a friend and consider helping us by the, keeping these broadcasts coming to you by giving to Cape Fear Men by going to capefearmen.net and hit the uh, give uh, to Cape Fear Men button at the top. We are a 5013C uh, organization. Uh, operating organization, and all donations are tax deductible. And if you want to learn more about Cape Fear Men and how Cape Fear Men can help you reach the men of your local church, just go to capefearmen.net. And if you want to talk to me directly, email me at mike.sandlin at capefearmen.net. But for now, I will leave you with this blessing. I pray God will give you a rock to drink to stand on, a drink brook to drink from, and a tree to shade you. And this is Mike Sandlin saying God bless, and I hope you will join us next time on the next Intentional Conversations with Mike Sandlin.